0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning for worship of our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who are with us this morning, either in church or via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and may he be praised and glorified in our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. The consistory with deacons will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30pm, and this morning the worship service will be led by Brother Plater. And before we commence the worship service, let us sing together from Psalm 108, verse 1 and 2. Good morning brothers and sisters, let us rise for worship if you are able. The very outset of our worship we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets you this morning, grace, mercy and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and let us sing of our love for God with the words of Psalm 16. In Lord's Day forty-four, question and answer one hundred and fifteen, a question asked by the catechism is: If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? And one of the reasons it gives there is that so that throughout our whole life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature, and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. And so, as we hear God's law this morning, let us uh, test our lives according to it, that we may see our sinful nature and more look to our our Savior, Jesus Christ, and find forgiveness and righteousness in him. So, hear God's law from Exodus 20, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So far from God's law, let us respond in singing, and we'll sing from Psalm 119, verse 14. Since we can't do anything in our own strength, let us come before God and ask for his blessing on our worship. Dear God in heaven, how beautiful it is that we can come to you, our Lord, and call you Father. You are the best Father that there ever is and there ever will be. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know our thoughts before they are formed. You know our words before they even exit from our lips. You know our activities day and night. And Lord, you provide for all our needs as we experience so often. And Lord, one of the things that we need the most is your righteousness. One of the things that we need the most is your forgiveness in Christ. And Father, this is something that we often don't realize. It's so easy for us to to think of ourselves as more righteous than we really are. Maybe there's certain sins that we're aware of, and then when we don't commit them, we feel pretty good about ourselves. Lord, so often we're ignorant of the depths of our sin. And so, God, we praise you for your law. Lord, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of change. And so we thank you for giving us your law, which is sound, which is whole, which revives the soul. We praise you that you don't beat us over the head with it, but rather as we confess that you have given us your law so that we might beat a path to the cross. You break our ignorance through the law, and you lead us by the hand to our Savior, so that we would seek our righteousness not in ourselves, but in him, that we would seek forgiveness from him. And Father, what an incredible gift this is. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us now as we worship you. In you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And please open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word. Give us the grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Lord, bless us as we worship and gather around your word. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. For you are our rock and our Redeemer. For Jesus' sake, we pray all of these things. Amen. Well, this morning, it's my intention to preach God's word to you as it comes to us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in preparation for that, or in connection with that, we're going to read two passages from the New Testament. The first passage is from the Gospel of Mark. the gospel of Mark and in this chapter Jesus is teaching his disciples and one of the things that he does is he reveals and foretells his future death and then what follows is a discussion about power and authority in the church and so we'll read the verses 10 through uh, well chapter 10 verses 35 through 45 so hear God's word And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So so far from Mark's Gospel, Let's now turn to the, the letter to the, to the Corinthians, the second letter, and we'll read the verses 12 through 17. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open to me for, for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, Let us now sing from Psalm 145, verse 3 and 5, where the psalmist praises God for his kindness to his creation. So this morning we continue our journey through 1 Thessalonians. Last week we dealt with the first chapter where Paul praises God for the evidence of grace in the lives of the congregation in Thessalonica. And here we'll continue and we'll read the verses 1 through 12 and that will be our text for this morning. So 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 verse 1 through 12. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So far from God's word. In response to the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing from hymn 82. Hymn 82 verses 1 and 4. Oh, dear congregation, greatly loved by our Lord Jesus Christ, throughout history there's been many men who have been in ministry, who have acted from wrong motives, and may have conducted themselves in a way that didn't bring glory to God, but actually discredited the message that they proclaimed. There's examples, past and present, of people who were motivated by, by status, motivated by self interest motivated by greed and that led to reproach against the church of Christ. You can read of churches who are caught out for poor financial dealings or churches that imploded because of a pastor's drive to to build his own platform. So we see there's many examples in history of ministry that has been not according to God's word. And this is something that's not new to our time in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God comes to his people and he speaks about the shepherds of Israel who have completely missed the whole purpose of their ministry among God's people. God comes to them and he bemoans their unfaithfulness, their, the unfaithfulness of the shepherds. He says in Ezekiel 34 verses 3 to 4, He says, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed their sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The stray you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought out. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So that's an example of shepherds who are motivated not by the glory of God or or pleasing the God who commissioned them but instead were motivated by their own self-interest and had impure motives. And it was abhorrent to God. And it's in stark contrast to this, that our passage this morning, it shows what ministry, true ministry, gospel ministry looks like. You see, in our passage, after praising God for the evidence of grace in the lives of God's people, Paul goes on and he defends his ministry against certain... Misconceptions against certain false accusations that people, some people from Thessalonica had. And we'll look at those in a, in a moment. But then as he's defending his ministry, what he does is he paints a portrait of what true gospel ministry looks like. He paints a picture before us of what the proper discharge of our offices look like. What drives ministry? What are the motives behind ministry? And, and what does it look like? What is the manner of ministry? And so I preach God's word to you under this theme, Christ's apostle shows us the heart of true gospel ministry. And we'll look at two things. First, we'll look at the why, so that is the motives behind gospel ministry. And second, we'll look at the manner of gospel ministry, or you could say the how of ministry. So firstly, then the why, we'll look at the motives behind gospel ministry. Now, brothers and sisters, difficulties have a, a way of coloring the way we see events. You know, something happens, and then we start to question everything that has happened before or leading up to that point. You know, and, and in many ways, this is understandable. You know, if someone hurts you deeply, all of a sudden there's a big question mark behind their name and behind their character. You start to doubt everything that you believed about that person till that point. And so you often can reinterpret things. Suffering has a way of of shaping the way that you see things. And in a way, this is the space that some of the Thessalonians were in. Some of them were doubting the legitimacy of Paul. There was a question mark behind his character and the intentions of his ministry when he came to them. You see, as quick as Paul came into the picture in Thessalonica, he was out of it again. We read about that in Acts 17. Acts 17. Or I should say we read about that in Acts 17. And so what happened there is Paul comes to Thessalonica. He's only there for a very short time. Possibly maybe at most three months. And he's there and he's preaching the gospel. And then the Jews incite this uproar in the city. And then they form a mob and they attack the house where Paul and his colleagues were staying. Jason's place. And it's because of this that we read in Acts 17 verse 10, that the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. They sent him away by night. So in short, in this, in this space of time, this around maybe three months, they, he, he came in, he preached the gospel, and suddenly he was gone. And there these, these Gentile converts, these new Christians, were sitting there trying to figure out what does their newfound faith in Christ look like? And they were doing so in the midst of great opposition to the faith. And what is more is Paul hadn't returned yet. He hadn't come back. And so some questioned his ministry even more. It seemed that he was just acting in a similar way to the traveling philosophers or Stoics of the time. You see, in Thessalonica, it was, Thessalonica was a major port city in Macedonia in the Roman Empire. And in Roman times it was very significant because the city was in a, it was in a place that was on one of the major roads uh, that led from the, Adria, sorry, the Asia Minor to the Adriatic coast. So it was a major port uh, city. It was a, a thoroughfare for much uh, merchants. And so people went, went there. It was, it was, there was quite a hubbub of activity. And then so what happens is you had these philosophers, uh, these traveling philosophers that would come these people that would deliver these really wonderful speeches. And they would come and they'd try to amass a following for themselves. And often their motives behind it, they'd amass a following. They'd try to make a, a, a bit of money for themselves. And their practices were very dishonest. You know, they kind of come into your life. And then as quickly as they come into your life, they're out of their life once they got what they want. And so some thought, well... Maybe Paul is just like one of these traveling philosophers. And so Paul responds by recounting his ministry among them. He appeals to what they know. He says, you know that's not the case. You know that's not how it was. In a sense, what he does is he double-clicks on the statement in chapter 1, verse 5... So he says to them, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And then he says this, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And so what Paul does here is he kind of double clicks on that statement and expands on it. And he, and he tells you, you know what kind of people we were? This is who we were. He says, you know, brothers, that's not how it went. You know that we, what, what, um, you know that our coming to you was not in vain. We weren't there just following aimless and selfish pursuits, not at all. Despite the fact being shamefully treated in Philippi, we came and we preached the gospel with much boldness. And there he tells us that his boldness it wasn't from you know amazing success at the previous town. It wasn't uh, based on the fact that they were received by the people there. With open arms. No, he says, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. You see, congregation, you'd think that their experiences in Philippi, where we read about in Acts 16, where they were mobbed, beaten to a pulp, and then thrown in prison unjustly, you'd think that that would have made them a little more tentative when they preached or more wary. Or more sensitive to their audiences. But instead, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, the words just flowed from their mouths. That's what the, the word behind uh, boldness means. There's, there's no inhibition there. It, they, the words just came and they kept speaking about the glory of God. They proclaimed and they witnessed about the Savior Jesus Christ. And then he says, what what is the reason for our our boldness? What motivated us? Well, as he describes what motivated uh, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, he rejects three things. He says, firstly, our motivations were were not self-interest. It wasn't about us. He says there, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Literally, the word... There, it speaks about an attempt to bait someone. You know, it's like a fishing term. And so he, he, they weren't like these door-to-door salesmen that would go around and try to get you to sign the dotted line and sign your life away. He's saying that's not what was motivating us. It wasn't our own self-interest. And so he denies that. And then he denies that it was for the, the pleasing of the peoples, that he came there simply to tickle people's ears. He says there, we speak not to please men. And in many ways, that makes sense. They would have changed their tack by now if they were all about pleasing people. I mean, they'd been beaten the last time that they were in another city. And so if it was about pleasing people, they would have changed their ministry. And then the third thing he says... That it wasn't a pretext for greed. So they didn't come giving these flowery speeches, giving these beautiful rhetoric and, and wonderful uh, advice to people, flattering them just so that they could fill their pot, uh, their pockets. It wasn't a pretext for greed. And he kind of expands on this in verse 9. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you, the gospel of God. We funded our own ministry, he says. We sorted it out for ourselves. We worked among you. We made an honest living. And we shared the gospel, not, not for a penny, not for something, you know, for monetary uh, benefit. No, we shared the gospel with you. So he says, we're, we're not motivated by money. We're not motivated by self-interest. We're not motivated by, um, by greed. We're not motivated by people-pleasing. You know, that, that's what might motivate those traveling philosophers, but not us, Paul says. And so what was it that motivated them in their gospel ministry among the Thessalonians? Well, brothers and sisters, it was, it was the glory of God. It was the honor of God's name. It was to please the God and faithfully carry out the commission he had given them. You see, and that's the sense that you get there. What he's saying is, this is not really our message, it's God's message. God gives us this message, it comes from him, and we are simply faithfully administering that. We're faithfully carrying it out. Notice how many times he mentions the gospel of God. It wasn't the gospel of Paul in a way to say Paul's ministry is a misnomer. It wasn't Paul's ministry. It's God's ministry. And he says it multiple times, the gospel of God. So verse if you go to verse 2, Behold, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And that comes up in in verse 8. In verse 8, he says that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves. And then it comes up in verse 9. He says that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul says it wasn't our message to begin with. It was God's message. He didn't come there to people please. He came there to faithfully administer the gospel that was given to him. He proclaimed a divine message. And we see that in verse 4. Verse 4 he says there, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. The word approved there it speaks of, in a sense, God testing them. And so showing them to be faithful or, or showing them to be the right kind of person for the task. Now Paul doesn't really explain what he means by that. But simply what he's saying is, God has commissioned me. He's given us our task. And he says at the end of the day, we're responsible to him. He's going to test our hearts. He's going to test our motives. And so we go, we minister, we we preach the gospel, not for ourselves, but so that we please God. God. As Paul says elsewhere, which we read together in 2 Corinthians, he says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. He says our gospel is from, it's from God, and we proclaim it before God, before him in his sight. It's all about him. Our motive, he says, was simply to faithfully declare that message to you, to speak it to you, to declare the message of salvation. Now, congregation, while Paul is responding here to various false accusations or certain doubts that the Thessalonians have, in so doing, he's, he's showing us what the real motives for ministry really is, what gospel ministry truly looks like. It says that a ministry pleasing to God is not motivated by self-interest. It's not motivated by people-pleasing or greed. You know, you hear, as I mentioned, big-name churches like Hillsong that come under fire for greed. Or you can think of other churches that imploded because one pastor was just simply driven in his, uh, for success. It was all about his podcasts. It was all about his book deals. And it's easy to think that that's out there. But it's very much a danger for all of us who are in ministry. Even as you desire to proclaim Christ and speak about Christ and Christ crucified, it's easy to be filled with pride when you see your sermons on Sermon Audio. It's easy to start doing your ministry motivated by the fact of when you come out of church, someone says, thank you for your message, and you start to feel good about yourself. Or it's easy to, to desire the office of elder or the office of deacon not only to serve, but also to increase our standing and our, our significance in the congregation. You see, even as we desire to pursue ministry, to, be, to serve the church, what we see is that vainglory is very close to our hearts. It's often mixed in right there with it. The praise of men lies close at heart. And I say that from experience. But Paul says that's not a gospel ministry that pleases God. True gospel ministry is motivated by the honor and glory of God's name. It's not seeking to please men, but simply you're preaching or you're administering the gospel to an audience of one. And that is God. It's about seeking his pleasure as we preach, and as we administer God's word in our home visits. And so, congregation, one of the things that you can do for those who are in ministry in this church is pray for them. Really pray for them. Pray that their their ministry would be motivated by the glory of God, that the elders, the teaching elders, that the deacons... That they would go and uh, faithfully fulfill the commission that they've been given. Pray that they wouldn't be motivated by self-interest. That they wouldn't be motivated by greed. That they wouldn't be motivated by the praise of men. But rather that they would be motivated by pleasing the God before whom they have to give an account of everything that they do. Pray that God keeps them from impure motives. So the motivation behind gospel ministry is God's glory. You know, sometimes we like to understand why people tick, why they get up in the morning. Well, that's the reason why Paul got up in the morning. That's the reason why he got up even after he was beaten the, the night before. He got up in the morning because he was motivated to please the God who commissioned him. He was motivated to please and praise his God. And that motive, it impacted the way he carried out his ministry. You could say the why, it impacted the how. And that's what we see in the second point. We look at the manner of of gospel ministry. The how. What follows in our text is a beautiful self-description of what Paul's ministry looked like. Boots on the ground, what did it look like? He, says, he gives two pictures for the way that he ministered to the Thessalonians. And if you look at these pictures that he gives, these are some of the most intimate descriptions of gospel ministry found in the New Testament. Paul says that the manner of his ministry was parental in nature. He loved them like a mother and he led them like a father. He loved them like a mother and he led them like a father. It says there in verse 6, Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you, like nursing mothers taking care of our own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you became very dear to us. Now what he's doing there in verse 6 He says, he speaks about, we didn't seek glory from people. Now, at first glance, it seems like what Paul is saying is that he wasn't seeking the glory of people, but he was seeking the glory of God. And that is true of Paul's ministry, but he's saying something a little different here. You see that with the contrast. What he's saying here, he's using glory in the sense of honor or respect. So he's saying, I didn't demand respect, which I could have, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I could have said, you have to honor me because I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says he didn't do that. That's, what he, that's not what he was doing. He wasn't going to use his status as an apostle to try to influence the church. And this is what we see with the, the apostle Peter. The apostle Peter makes a similar point. So in 1 Peter 5, which is in the form for office bearers, it tells the shepherds of God to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. So what Paul's saying here, even though I was an apostle of Jesus Christ, I didn't use my status My honor as an apostle to lord it over you, to coerce you, to impose my thoughts on you. And Paul is not alone in this. If you look at the apostles of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, this is something that you see. Just think of the short epistle of Jude. So Jude, he was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Well, think of the amount of clout that would have carried in the church. This is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He grew up with Christ. Think of the status that would have given him. But instead, when he opens his letter, Jude 1, he says, he doesn't say Jude, the half brother of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. His relationship, he defined his relationship, not biologically, but in relationship with his Lord. His identity was bound up more in the fact that Christ was his Lord than the fact that Christ was his brother. And see, fundamentally behind that is a desire to serve, is a recognition that he he has come to be like his Savior, not to be served, but to serve. As we read together from Mark 10, verse 42, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and gave himself as a ransom for many. So Paul is saying... You know, even though I had all this honor and status as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm not using that in the sense, standing all my ministry on that. But rather, instead, he says, instead of kind of pushing my authority on you, what does he say? We were gentle among you. His approach of ministry was gentleness. It was care. We were gentle among you, like, like nursing mothers taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you became very dear to us. I've been blessed to see nursing mothers. And when you look, you see such care and such affection for the, for the child. You know, They get up at 3 a.m. in the morning and they go and they take care of their child because they love their child and even when you're at a place where it's like you're about to lose patience, they're there. They grab their child, and they, they take it in their arms, and they, and they nurse them. You see, the, the phrase that he uses, so affectionately desirous, it speaks of a warmth that doesn't fade. It's like an intense fire that just burns with immense heat. And then it comes to mean to cherish And so it's cherishing someone in a way that just doesn't fade. Your affection for them doesn't fade. You continually care for them. You see, Paul, he loved this church. There's no other church, maybe Philippians, that Paul loved in this way. Paul cherished this church. And so the way he ministered to the believers was the way that the mothers among us take care of their children with gentleness and with much, with much care. It's a care that gives of itself, that continues to give and give and give, and that doesn't hold back. He says we were ready not only to share the gospel of God, but our very selves. What a portrait of ministry that is. You see, the gospel ministry of the church is not meant to be aloof. It's not to stand far above the people that the office bearers are ministering to. It's not to be meant to be far removed from their lives. It's not meant to be one of harshness, as Ezekiel says. But rather, gentleness and a self-sacrificial love. Paul did it. He did that. He gave of his very self for his for the ministry he dearly loved them and he gave of himself now dear office bearers that is the calling that you have the manner of your ministry among the congregation here must be characterized by gentleness and by love you are not to use your authority as an office bearer to impose your view or lord it over the people in your charge that's not a ministry that pleases God. But rather, true gospel ministry is characterized by tenderness and by affection, a warmth that can only be that only resembles a mother's care for a child. The call here is to love your people dearly and to serve them. And to serve them with the glorious gospel as you administer it in their homes. And to give of your very selves. That is the call. That is the call that you have. To minister for their sake. That's what Paul says in, in chapter 1 verse 5. He says, you know what kind of men we became among you for your sake. For the sake of your people. You're meant to mother them with a tenderness and affection. And yet that's not the only image that Paul uses. He also uses the image of a father. So he says that Paul and his colleagues, he says that they not only they cared for the Thessalonians with a motherly care that was very gentle, but he says that they also led the Thessalonians like a father. So verse 10, you are witness, uh, sorry, verse uh, verse Eleven and twelve, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the fathers in ancient times, they were responsible for the the moral instruction and behavior of their of their children, so they are the ones that instructed their kids, they are the ones that taught them right from wrong. They're the ones that guided them in life. Just think of the wise teacher of Proverbs. My son, heed my instruction. Well, that's very much the relationship that Paul had with the church. That was how he did church. You could say how he did ministry. My son, listen to my instruction. He taught them what, newfound, what their newfound life in Christ looked like. He taught them how to, how to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And he did this, we are told, he did this and it uses three words. So it says, exhorting each one of you, encouraging you, and charging you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Well, exhorting you, it's compelling you to go, compelling you to walk in a certain way, calling you, directing you in that way. And then he says, it's encouraging, or it's cheering you on, helping you in that. And then he exhorted them, he, he charged them. He charged them in the way that you should go. This is the way that you are to walk in a manner worthy of God. That's how he he ministered among them. It was like a father to them. Now sometimes, brothers and sisters, you have it where someone says one thing and does another. And so it's hard to take them seriously because there's a disconnect between what they say and what they do. You know you think of that phrase, "Do as I say and not as I do." Why does that phrase exist? Because of the disconnect that sometimes happens. Well, notice, when Paul tells them, when he, when he fathers them, he's not living in a, he's not telling them to live a lifestyle that he himself is not living. As we saw last time, when we looked at First Thessalonians one, the gospel that he preached was the gospel that he lived. And they could testify to, to, to that. Verse 10 You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct among you believers. You see, they were fathers to the Thessalonians that the Thessalonians could emulate, could imitate. Their leadership was above reproach. They not only instructed by their words, but they also instructed by their actions. And so, brothers and sisters, once again, that is what true gospel ministry looks like. You see, Paul may be defending himself here, but he's showing us what is the model of gospel ministry. Well, not only are the office bearers meant to to, uh, minister among you as a mother cares for their, their child, but also to minister among you as fathers, to exhort you, to encourage you, to charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And that comes in the form for office bearers. Think of the call of the ministers to teach, to preach. And then also it says, and set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. 1 Timothy 4 verse 12. Or then when it speaks about the call for the elder. It's that you're to have supervision over Christ's church that every member may conduct themselves properly in doctrine and life according to the gospel. And then the call for a deacon is to encourage and comfort with the word of God those who receive the gifts of Christ's love. And all the while, while you do this, the call is to live in such a way that this congregation can emulate you. They can follow you. That your conduct is so above reproach that no one can bring a charge against you. That you set an example to them. That your conduct among them is holy, is righteous, is blameless. That's the portrait that Paul paints of ministry. That's what it looks like. What a calling that is, brothers and sisters. You see, really, when you look at this, really, true gospel ministry, it reflects the ministry Christ, doesn't it? Think of when Christ was on earth. Think of his ministry. Consider our Savior, because that's what it looks like. You see, our Savior, he wasn't motivated by self interest. What happened when Satan came to him and said, Here's all the nations that I could give you, do this, and this is all that you could have? Well, Christ said, Be gone from me, Satan. Or when he was preaching, when he preached the gospel, Notice there's a time in, Mark, in Mark's gospel where the disciples are trying to find Jesus. And they come to him and they say, Jesus, the whole world is looking for you. And what does our Savior do? He doesn't bask in the limelight. He doesn't sit there in the praise of men. But he says, no, we've got to go on to the next town and preach the gospel. And continue preaching. And he wasn't motivated by greed. Christ said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Whereas Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, "For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might so that you by his poverty might become rich." You see Christ wasn't motivated by self-interest. He wasn't motivated by greed. He didn't flatter the, pe- the people as a pretext to get what he wanted. No, his motives were pure. He was motivated by one thing, and that was the glory of God, pleasing God. And twice, a voice from heaven boomed and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. His ministry was pleasing to God. His motives were pure. And then if you think of the manner of his ministry, the way that he conducted himself, well, think of his gentleness. Think of his care. Think of how the people that bumped into his life, how he blessed them and how he cared for them. He spoke to them in their situation. Think of what he described himself. He said that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And then, brothers and sisters, not only did he preach the gospel, not only did he live the gospel, but isn't it true that he gave of his very self Like it said, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He became sin for you. Him who knew no sin became sin for you. He gave of his very self. That's what his ministry was. He died on a cross for you. He gave his life for you. And he did that so that you might be righteous and holy in God. And more than that, he gave the righteousness in his perfect life, his life that was above reproach, that no one could bring a charge against. He gave that life, that righteousness, that holiness, and he gives it to you. You see, the gospel ministry that Paul is speaking about here is a gospel ministry that reflects the heart of our Savior Jesus Christ and what he did. And praise God for that. Because Christ's perfect ministry, it covers the imperfect ministry of the church. His life covers the reproach that we bring sometimes against Christ by the way we carry ourselves. See, brothers and sisters, behold the perfect ministry of your Savior the perfect gospel ministry of your Savior, how he shepherded his flock as he is the overseer of your souls. And the beautiful, comforting truth is that he will equip his people in their ministry. He'll equip the office bearers in your ministry, and he gives you his spirit to empower you for it. And he covers you with his righteousness and with his holiness in Christ Jesus. You see, congregation, in defending his ministry Paul shows us what's the heart of gospel ministry. And the heart, the beating heart, it's Christ. That's the heart of gospel ministry. That's what it looks like. If you want to know, just look at your Savior. Amen. Let us now sing in response to the preaching of the gospel, hymn 82, verses 1 and 4. As we come before our God in prayer this morning, we'll pray for a number of things. Firstly, we'll ask God that he'll bless the operation of our brother Andrew Muhlenberg, which is scheduled for this week. He's got a fairly extensive operation on his elbow. So we'll pray that God would would bless that. And then also we'll thank God for uh, his gifts to us. We have uh, the celebration of Rita Cossinson's birthday. Uh, And so we'll praise God for his faithfulness to our, our sister. And then also, we'll pray um, and we'll give thanks to God for his goodness to Bill and Honey Wagoner, who celebrate their anniversary. So, we'll praise God for his gifts. Let us us pray together. Almighty God and, and gracious Father, it's in your grace that you give us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip us, your people. ...for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Lord, thank you for your gracious gift. We marvel at how your kingdom advances through weak and very sinful people. Lord, and this only further displays your glory and your majesty. And Lord, we take this opportunity that you would... ...to, to ask you that you would please bless the ministry of this church... ...the gospel ministry of this church. That you would be with those in leadership positions... Father, we praise you for our elders and our ministers and our deacons who work tirelessly among us. We pray that you would please keep them from impure motives, that their ministries would be motivated by your glory and your honor and motivated by desire to please only you. We confess that it's so easy to serve in the church with unholy intentions, for greed, for selfishness, for the praise of men. But, Lord, we are not ignorant of Satan's designs. And so, gracious Lord, keep us. Keep us from these sins. Guide and and protect those in ministry. May their ministry reflect the character of Jesus Christ. May they love their people like mothers. May they lead their people like fathers. And, Lord, bless also the relationship between the congregation and those in office. Lord, may it be one of harmony. May it be a working relationship one of mutual love and gratitude and respect. Lord, help them to be patient with the weaknesses of these brothers who serve them. And in all of this, we pray that the body of Christ here in this church may grow until they one day attain to the measure of the stature and of the fullness of Christ. And Father, we also thank you for your goodness that you shower upon us. We thank you that you are God who cares for us. And Father, in this regard, we pray for our our brother Andrew Muhlenberg, who is scheduled to have an operation this week. Father, we ask that you would bless that operation, that he would be able to um, regain the, the mobility that he has in his elbow and that the operation would go well. Please bless the hands of the surgeons and be with them during his healing as well. Lord, we think too of those who are still under doctor's care, or receiving treatment, or recovering from stays in hospital. We pray that you'd please watch over them, that you would bless them. We thank you that you are a God who not only cares for our spiritual needs, but also our physical needs. And so we commit these brothers and sisters into your care. Father, we also thank you for your goodness that you shower upon us, for the gift of life each year again. Lord, we we thank you that Rita Cosinson can celebrate her, her birthday. We pray that you would be with her. Lord, we we praise you that you are God who cares for us from one end of life to the other end of life, that you're with us from the beginning and you're with us till the end, until you carry us home into glory. Lord, what a beautiful thing this is. We pray that you'd surround our our sister with with much love. May you continue to bless her and her husband, Gerald, as they are members of this congregation, that they would be uh, encouraged in their walk of faith. Father, we also thank you for your faithfulness to Bill and Honey Wagoner. We thank you that they can look forward to celebrating their, their 60th wedding anniversary. Lord, what a testimony of your goodness to them. Lord, we praise you that a three-strung cord is not quickly broken. And Father, if it was simply up to us, Lord, it would be very hard. But we praise you that you hold on to us and that you hold on to your people, that you have been with Bill and Honey in their marriage and that you've helped them to be faithful to each other and to continue to grow in their love for one another. Lord, thank you that you bring people together in this way. And Lord, we marvel at how you use this for sanctification. Father, we pray that you continue to bless uh, our, our brothers and sisters in this church, those who are married and those who are unmarried. Father, you know our situations in life. We pray that you'd please help all of us in in our, in our circumstances, we ask that all of us here would have a role to play in this church. Lord, we pray that you continue to be with us in the rest of this day of worship. Bless the time that we have in fellowship as we converse with each other or maybe continue uh, in our, each other's homes. Lord, may you, may you receive the meditations of our hearts and the praise of our lips and may it be pleasing to you. Father, we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name alone. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your gifts to the Lord. And the offering is requested for the mission work in PNG. And so, one of the things that Paul mentions in Philippians 4, verse 16 is that how the Philippians cared for him while he was ministering to the church and while he was busy there in Thessalonica. So he says in Philippians 4 verse 16, Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. And So brothers and sisters, this is how we can also support uh, the mission that is done elsewhere. And then afterwards we'll sing from hymn 10, uh, all stanzas. Receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.